Welcome, everyone, to the latest AHUA uh, podcast all about um, uh, life in your universities during lockdown, but also uh, how we've come out of lockdown and how we're looking to the future. So we're going to run through a number of questions and topics about how the first term has been in this most distinctive and unusual of academic years as universities have been facing into the challenges of the pandemic. And we'll also talk a bit about teaching and learning, but also how students have been uh, responding and behaving in this scenario. And then in part two of the podcast, we'll look at some of the the bigger issues for our universities in their local communities, but also as part of wider society. We've got a a high powered AHUA panel uh, for you uh, today, and I'm going to ask them to introduce themselves and also tell us uh, something interesting that they've discovered in the in the past six months. So, Steve, can I come to you uh, first, please, to name and full title and something interesting? Okay, so I'm uh, Steve Knight. I'm the Chief Operating Officer at the University of Sunderland. I've been at Sunderland for about uh, four and a half years now. And something interesting, um, we went on to... Microsoft Teams just um, as we went into lockdown actually as a university and I have two phrases now that I use millions of times a day one is is that a legacy hand and the other one is you are on mute and I probably say that um, many many times during the day thanks Steve We're, we're, we're with you on that one Eileen Hi, I'm Eileen Schofield. I'm University Secretary and Chief Operating Officer at the University of Stirling. And what surprised me over the past six months is the realisation of just how much I value exercise and living in a semi-rural environment. Uh, uh, Lucky you, um, is all I can say to that. Thank you, uh, Eileen. And Louise? Hello, I'm Louise Nadal. I'm the School Secretary at the London School of Economics and Political Science. I've been there for just under three years. Um, I think what I found most surprising about lockdown is while you're spending all your time staring at other people on the screen, um, I've also sort of embraced my um, my suppressed introvert, uh, which I didn't previously know it existed in quite the same way. Um, but I'm kind of coping with a balance of the two, I think. Excellent. Thank you. I mean, we, a number of those uh, introductions, you know, we were referring to ourselves as, you know, as people. And I, I think that one of the interesting things um, for me about the, the the past six months or so is the is the very different way that colleagues have have reacted to to the challenges first of of being completely locked down, and and more recently as we've emerged from that, not just about how they've coped with the technology or indeed. You know the kind of uh, solitary nature of part of our existence, but also um, the way that they've sought to cope with the, you know, what has been enormous pressure as well. So uh, perhaps Eileen, I, I could come to to you first. How how I mean, how has the past six months been for for you personally, and what what have you done to to cope with the challenges and to to meet them head on, apart from living in a lovely rural environment? Um, I think that the word. That, that springs to mind when I think of the last six months is intense. And I think it's the it's the fact that all aspects of life 
are intense. So the blurring of boundaries, um, it really does feel as if um, we're operating 24 seven. So, so how you restore balance or how you carve out some time, um, I think has been really essential. And that's that hence my earlier comment about valuing exercise because I find that sitting sometimes literally for four hours, not moving from a chair at all. Um, so, so compensating for that and, and making a very positive commitment um, to, to carving out time for exercise, I find really um, beneficial and helpful. Um, I think the other aspect of intense is then the fact that obviously you're spending all of your day with all of your family so um, the various roles that you have within your family, you then find you're also doing 24-7. So <laughs> my, the rest of my family don't normally look to me to provide lunch, but uh, during lockdown, that, that, was, uh, that was the norm. Great. Thank you. Uh, Louise, uh, talk us through your, um, your, your discovery of your uh, inner introvert then. <laughs> Well, I, I think at the beginning of lockdown, I was um, in, in the last week before it happened, I was um, feeling quite fearful, I think, about the sort of loss of agency and independence and, and um, sort of instinctively rebelling against that. Um, and I felt it was, you know, a sort of uh, a loss of personal autonomy, if you like. And then I found very quickly, having moved into house arrest, that um, it suited me rather well, actually. Um, and uh, I've the whole issue about blurring of boundaries I've, I've not missed my commute in the slightest but I am aware that I did use it as a way of separating home and work and in a way that just doesn't really happen anymore um, and I think that there is uh, that that has been a I think a, I think that's a long-term adaptation for all of us actually I, I think um, I wouldn't pretend to have have that cracked um, but I would say what has been a really uh, amazing aspect of it I think is that the collegiality of colleagues has been absolutely astonishing. Um, and I, I have colleagues who've said that actually, that although everything is done remotely, uh, she's never felt so connected to her colleagues, ironically. So I think there's this, there's this sort of, it's, it's an experience of extremes. You're sort of far away from most people and yet you, you work so closely with them and, 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 and so sort of continuously that in a strange way, it's sort of building positive bonds. And I feel there's been a much greater sense of the institution really pulling in one direction. I mean, huge, huge commitment from people. Um, and I think, you know, the concern is now, as we probably all have, there's elements about fear of burnout, really, that, that people are just, it's like, how much longer can we all keep going like this? Because the relentless nature of it is really challenging. Yeah, I think that's absolutely right. The intensity, as uh, Eileen described, but the relentlessness of it. But I, I mean, I think it is interesting. The um, you know, despite the, the the physical distance for people, yeah, you're seeing them more than you've ever. I mean, I find certainly with some of my clothes, I've seen more of them, albeit on screen, than I've ever seen of them before. And and actually, I've really valued having more time uh, to it to engage with them. It's been different and unusual, but actually, it's been more time, and and that's felt quite good um, um, in a way. Um, uh, Steve, what about you? So I very much uh, relate to some of the comments that have already been said. I don't have my long commute, um, and um, 
I am, yes, like Eileen, in the house with the family, etc., etc. I think there is this phrase always on at the moment uh, that we're, we're wrestling with at the moment, and days blur into days as they, as, as they go. I mean, I've been leading the university effort on COVID-19 response since whenever, um, and it, it takes over the world. I think the one thing I would add, though, is we've been having discussions about this, the issue of the team's engagement. We use teams all the time. And whilst we are, as you say, Paul, seeing a lot, a number of people a lot, what we're missing is the informal contacts that you get from being on campus and walking about. The people I wouldn't normally engage with that I meet when I'm getting my coffee in the morning or whatever, I haven't seen some of those people for six months. Even though we are starting to go, we are going onto campus um, now and then, um, that's the bit for me that I think is the worry. The people you meet with regularly in meetings are fine and the people you call regularly are fine, but it's all the other colleagues in the, in the institution that you bump into as you're walking around. That for me is the problem. Yeah, I, I, I completely agree with that. Those those happenstance encounters, the uh, the corridor discussions, you know, the water cooler moments or whatever you call them, they, they, they are absent. I mean, you, you just can't, you know, kind of recreate those. It seems to me. Although I, there is a, I think apparently there is a, there is an app that enables you to um, have random uh, coffee engagements with people across your organisation. Um, you know, it's a kind of uh, speed dating, you know, roulette wheel of fate, which strikes me as an absolute nightmare and uh, not something I'm that excited about. But it, you know, some people have tried it. Really interesting. Thank, thank, thank you for uh, for that. So thinking about your institution then, um, and, you know, all of our institutions have faced, you know, the same challenges over the past uh, six or seven months. And Steve, you described that, you know, the move to teams happening at the same time. But what do you think in terms of your university has been the, the most successful intervention that that has been made it might have been your idea or it might have been a collective one that's you know kind of made the most difference to staff or students or performance or money saving or whatever whatever it might be louise perhaps i could uh, come to you first on this one what's what's the lse done that's perhaps interesting or special i think um bearing in mind that you know there's there's no silver bullet around any of these things i think something that we found has made such a difference since reopening the campus has been the the testing and tracing program that we have so i think that that has been really valuable in terms of um you know managing any potential spike in in, in student uh in, in student cases um and we have a team of fantastic uh, tracing volunteers who do shifts every week and do the contact tracing um so i think i think that has made a really significant difference um, and I think give it, given given our students given their parents given staff confidence um, I think other things that have made a difference is we were um, we, we were quick off the mark about improving our financial position with relevant borrowing arrangements uh, to shore up our position should the worst happen um, and also, I think another thing that I think has worked really well is, is, the, is the communications we've had with staff, which have been very structured and generally well received, um, which has included, you know, weekly, weekly meetings with the trades unions. So I think those are all things that, that have made a positive difference. Before I come to, to, to others, Louise, I mean, 
uh, there's a question in my mind about about London, right? Um, which obviously hasn't um, since the early days of the pandemic, it hasn't suffered to the same extent as other parts of the country, which is you know not entirely clear to me why that's the case, but it is the case. But it does seem that as a consequence, or maybe it's just simply unrelated. You know, all the stories have been about universities outside everything, right? It's been about universities outside London. Um, but I mean, you've clearly been facing exactly the same challenges as everyone else. You've got different because of commuter uh, students on the on the whole, but in terms of the challenges, they've been exactly the same as every other university. So um I mean, is that a phenomenon that you recognize, or is it just, you know, I mean, maybe it's just, you know, us, you know, kind of chippy northerners uh, just relishing the fact that, you know, London's not at the top of their news agenda anymore. What, what, what do you think's behind that? I wouldn't describe Nottingham as the North, Paul. Yeah, I know. I know it's the Midlands. I was, I was generalizing to everywhere outside London. Apologies. Um, Apologies to all my colleagues as well for that. And everyone. Yeah. All right. Oh, dear. Um, I, I, well, I think there's an element of there, but for the grace of God, go any of us. Um, I, I think um, I, it can't be explained. Like you, I, I'm just um, fascinated by why um, there are these regional outbreaks and why it's been so much more acute than in London. Although, of course, cases in London are rising. It's now gone to tier two. Who knows what will happen next? Um I think our major concern has been very much so because, as you say, um, we're bang in the centre of London. We're actually, our campus is split across two local authorities. So you're dealing with two, two separate local authorities each time. But also we, our students rely on public transport uh, to get to the school. And um, so, so that the potential for them to catch or to become infected is potentially greater because of the nature of those exposures. So far, I think we've just been lucky really uh, I, I i can't attribute it to anything um profound or smart it, it's just it's been a weird london effect but uh i, I think we're certainly not complacent that that, that will always be the case uh, we, we could easily we could easily become newcastle or manchester it's um you know who knows great uh eileen what what about what about sterling then it's a very different kind of uh uh location and as we've already um you know established the uh the semi-rural setting is one of one of uh, great pleasure for, for your good self yeah um i think um one aspect that that we accelerated that i think has made quite a difference um is what we call our be connected program and uh, and that uh, basically provides a range of online uh, events and, and resources and designed to keep everyone um, across the, the community connected, um, either by connecting with others through various mechanisms or getting active online um, uh, classes, learning something new, um, giving in terms of volunteering and 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 and, and taking notice and, and being aware and supporting supporting others, and um, that uh, that grew out of um, conversations we've been having last year in terms of developing mental health strategy and and general strategies in terms of health and well being again for the whole community. And um, it was really kickstarted in many ways by an initiative that uh, we took on last year 
um, to celebrate the 50 years of a man landing on the moon. Um, we decided to, to launch a, a Walk to the Moon challenge. So an app was created and uh, everybody um, was encouraged to walk, run, cycle, uh, however, to the moon. And we set ourselves a time limit to do it. And uh, I'm delighted to say we achieved it. Um, but what, what came out of that was uh, really interesting in terms of the feedback we got from the community. Um, because we'd, we organized walks um, and everybody was, was free to just come along. So the, the sense of well-being um, that, that uh, the feedback we got uh, from those that had participated um, was, was really encouraging. And, and that, as I say, had led into then uh, the, the developments that had been planned in terms of a more uh, coherent health and well-being strategy. So at the point of lockdown, that was accelerated and an enormous um, amount of, of work was undertaken um, by a range of, of colleagues to make it available. And, and even as we come out of uh, lockdown, that's now um, being mainstreamed and, and will remain um, um, part of part of of life uh, at Sterling. That's that's really interesting, and um, I'll come back to the steps in a minute. But the um, that that kind of program then is it? I mean, is it um, identifiably had a, a kind of beneficial effect on you know on on staff and how they're feeling about things? I mean, have you been able to to kind of get feedback and measure that in any in any meaningful way? Um. They're starting to look at they're starting to look at that, but I don't have analytics that I can yeah. um, um, a formal evidence base that I could comment on at this point in time. But in general terms, it's I mean it sounds yeah. excellent. I have to say, but so, so it's going to yeah the the informal feedback is really positive, and so you 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 know it's only two hundred seventy thousand miles to the moon, so that's you know fairly modest uh, distance. <laughs> uh, so uh, have you, you know, decided to go, you know, 93 million miles to the sun? What's 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 next for uh, for Sterling? Then? Well, Mars has been mentioned one or twice. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent. Thanks, Eileen. Um, so, Steve, um, Sunderland. So um, what I would say um, is that it was early planning and early engagement with the university community that that really helped us um, to get to where we are today um we had a we've had a phased reopening because we had to open our health faculty on the 6th of july we opened our london campus on the 8th of august so we also had early openings to test our covid safe measures and how we we're operating so we've been we've been both engaging with the community and operating for a number of months now and that has played actually into, although we're in the Northeast and in a high region of, of cases, we have actually since um, the 1st September only had 16 staff and 130 students test positive. Um, and our running seven day total is actually three staff and 12 students now. Um, and we work very closely with public health um, on this um, to, to make sure the cases uh, stay down and the control measures are in place. So. You know, we've obviously wrapped all the well-being and other stuff around it, but but we've got a we've got mechanisms in place to to keep this under control. I mean, eighty-five percent of our students are commuter students as well, 
So they live in the local community, both in Sunderland and regionally. So household transmission in the local area is the main thing around us. But on campus, we're operating in a what we consider to be a safe and secure environment. But that has taken months of planning to get to this point uh, and trial and error. So, um, so yes, that's what I would. That's the one thing I would say. We got onto this quite early, um, and have processes in place now where we're managing it on a daily basis. So, one of the um, big live issues um, over the past few weeks or so, and indeed um, is likely to be for a while yet, is the the reopening of campuses and the the issue of in person or face to face teaching. Um, it's one of those issues that that causes uh, you know big debates uh, in universities uh, and has done since the start of session um, and I'll, I'll come to you perhaps first uh, Steve given that we we know uh, Sunderland opened early um, uh, than the start of uh, uh, or earlier than than many others in terms of uh, it, it its campuses but I I, I wonder how things have how things have played out because there, there are there are some who say there shouldn't be you know particularly um, trade unions saying there shouldn't be any face to face teaching at all it should all be um, online because it's it's too dangerous there are others who who point to the uh, the sage report from September although that was actually talking about something a bit different and I think you know people have latched onto that as saying there should be no face-to-face different uh, teaching but actually I think that was talking about a kind of circuit break lockdown activity um, for everyone um, but the, there are also there's also virtually no evidence in any university as far as I can I can tell or I've been able to find where you know people have actually um, transmitted the virus through face-to-face teaching activity so uh, because universities have designed their campuses to try and minimize the risk of transmission in the classroom so I mean, Steve. It sounds, you know, I think you you're you would say that you have been successful. So, talk us through the approach then to to face to face at Sunderland. So, so the early the early opening on sixth of July was actually in our health faculty and predominantly around nurses and paramedics who had to get into placements. What was interesting there, of course, is that a lot of the staff and some of the students had actually been in the NHS working during the pandemic. So when they came back onto onto site for teaching, it was actually a safer environment for them than they had witnessed when they were working at the height of the pandemic in the NHS. Also, being being in health professionals, they were very um, able and practiced at operating in a safe environment with the right PPE. So that gave us a group of people who wanted to come back onto campus, wanted to start teaching and enabled a bit of a test bed on how it would work. We have throughout this been though, as I'm sure other colleagues have been talking to the trade unions about this issue of face-to-face teaching. And my experience is it varies greatly between the different faculties. Um, and some, some are very keen, as I said, to get back onto site, onto campus and some are not. Um, and some of the courses, of course, that don't have face-to-face can more easily go online. So what we've got now is a is quite a spread of face-to-face teaching. We're operating a hybrid model. So at the health end, we're about 40% face-to-face. And then if you go to the business end, we're probably much lower than that, or we are much lower than that. 
So we, we've sort of found a level between the faculties. Some of this has been student driven, students saying, why do I need to come on? We put at an early stage, we put in place some principles um, about how much face to face contact there should be that was that were the whole university shared with the whole university community. Um, and we've now and we're now just adjusting that as we go. Um, for us, I suppose the next the next issue is if we have to go into the D, a further DFE tier, we're still at tier one, but if we did move to, D, to two or three, we might have to reconsider that. But at the moment, teaching is proceeding well. The feedback we're getting from students is when they do get onto campus, they feel safe and secure and it's working as, as you said, Paul, we're two meters distance. So it, 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 it feels very safe when you're here. One of the issues we have had, and I, and I know Louise mentioned public transport in London, of course I've worked in London, but even in Sunderland, the majority of our students come by public transport on a bus or a metro, and that's where we've had some issues in that people feel unsafe getting onto public transport. So getting the students onto campus has been almost a, much of a problem, but once they're there, it all seems to work. Yeah, great, thank you. Um, Louise, London then, um, what what have the issues been around face-to-face uh, -face teaching at the LSE? Um, well, very similar to the scenarios really that Steve has described around staff anxiety. Um, so I won't I won't rerun those. I, I think we have um, probably like everyone else we have we have a blended approach. So we said early that all lectures would be online because of the issues around social distancing and class size and just physical capacity. So that that was um, an early statement. But uh, we're running. Uh, the majority of other classes in a face-to-face -face context. For some bigger groups, that's meant that um, we've had to hire external space in order to allow um, for appropriate levels of social distancing. And of course, um, we had an unexpected hike in numbers after the A-level issue over the summer. So we were having to do that you know, very much at the 11th hour in order to be able to accommodate students safely. I think, um, it's, it's clear though that students are enormously appreciative of, of the face-to-face -face contact um, and, uh, and, and that basically things, things are working well. We're just coming to the end of week four um, and we're obviously hoping that that can continue. I, I think something that is, has become, I think, an issue for some staff who, who understandably find this difficult is where we have a kind of hybrid approach in classes. So you have a group where you're being taught face to face, but also there are some that are attending the class remotely because of health issues or, um, you know, or, or they're overseas or, or whatever it is. Um, and I think staff find that a challenge because obviously people, and it can be unsatisfactory if, you know, if, if there's any kind of technical challenge. Um, so I, I think that's something that, um, is is a way of probably trying to please everybody but um it, it's 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 a kind of a hiccup in in the in the path if you like because it's actually quite quite difficult to pull off but um yes i mean we, we want to we want to be able to continue to face to face teach because that's what students expect and need indeed indeed great and eileen how about how about sterling then what's the how's it gone in terms of face to face teaching with you well, our, our approach was to make sure that we could deliver irrespective of, of what happened in, in terms of the external environment. 
So um, our approach was to ensure that we could deliver everything online if if uh, if we had to. We have a blended approach um, uh, similar to to Steve. Um, um, most face to face is taking place within our health faculty, and and it varies considerably across across others. Um, we our approach uh, looked to introduce or increase face-to-face -face, uh, teaching in the second semester. Um, and in the first semester, um, we allowed optional developments of face-to-face -face so that, that in terms of locally academic staff and groups of students could, could, um, could agree to that if, if they wished. Great, thank you. So turning to uh, students now, um, I mean, this was the most challenging and difficult um, uh, recruitment round. We had the the, the challenges of uh, exams in the in the summer uh, for for this generation of, uh, particularly for for uh, eighteen year olds, um, and then um, all the 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 farrago of. Uh, people's grades changing happened in Scotland, happened in England uh, as well. So, and we have the the, the combination of uh, international student recruitment challenges where many countries are looking to us to think, well, they haven't managed it terribly well, they don't look terribly safe, but also we have a, a, a slightly, well, a very mixed message around our welcoming of um, international visitors and uh, a visa regime which uh, historically hasn't been terribly welcoming either although to be fair that is uh, that is uh, looking to change so um uh, louise perhaps i could come to to you first on your you know how has student recruitment uh, gone for you and has it caused any particular issues positive or negative for you uh, I think if this had been anything like a normal year, we would have had a bumper level of recruitment um, with a very high conversion rate, I think, even before the A-level grade adjustment. So um, we have ended up uh, having currently registered, registration closes today, having registered uh, more students than was our actual target number. So um, that sounds pretty good but of course uh, one of the issues about the LSE is it's such an international institution so the majority of our students are not UK based or UK uh, domiciled so um, we do have students uh, we, so we have currently quite a lot of students who are learning remotely from China we also have had quite a lot of Chinese students who've come so I think we have been concerned throughout this period about the uh, the international reputation of the government for how it's handled this case uh, and of course all the kind of you know hokey cokey type quarantine regulations for different countries have not helped us at all because we have a large number of European students too so I think um, in terms of on-campus numbers we probably have about 75% um, of our expected numbers are on campus uh, some of those who are uh, International, because of course we have quite a lot of North American students as well, and there's no way they are would be given any kind of freedom to travel here till at least January. And the way things are looking, I imagine that's going to take longer. So um, we have fewer international students physically present than we would otherwise have expected. Um, but I think um, 
it, it's turned the way things have turned out. I suppose being I'm being cautious here. Um, the position is better than it looked five six months ago. Um, so that 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 that, ha that has been progress, and I think it, it is things like the visa re the regime because of course there were issues. All the visa offices were closed, and then there was a sort of um, you know scrum to get to get visas issued. So there's been sort of every conceivable bureaucratic obstacle thrown in the path of institutions, I think. So, um, but what I think what has been really positive is the overwhelming willingness of students to come. They really want to be at university, possibly because they've been locked down with their parents for the last six months and are dying to escape. But, you know, for returning students, it's not been an issue. They, they just really want to come back. Yeah. No, I think these are very, very different circumstances, uh, as you say. But I, I, I think given your dependence, you know, on uh, international numbers the fact that they you know we've got them at all I think is remarkable <laughs> in a sense so that is is actually you know a really encouraging uh uh sign and certainly our experience is that numbers are better than we feared they might be uh earlier in, in the cycle Steve what what about you what's the position um at, at Sunderland in terms of your overall student recruitment package so I very much agree with some of the comments Louise has just said um we we early on in the year were predicting uh, potential disaster as as many universities were in in recruitment, particularly international recruitment, and took some early cost cutting measures um, to, to to try and negate that. Where we're ending up now is actually recruitment, as you just said, Paul, is is actually picking up and is better than we thought it would be, and particularly international, actually. Um, we thought that as many colleagues did that they'd be really put off from coming but apart from one or two very specific countries um the they seem to be flooding in at the moment um, and certainly we're going to exceed our reforecasted target if i put it like that um and and but home has held up as well uh, and eu recruitment has been particularly strong as well uh, and i think uh shouldn't really use the Brexit word. I got told off for that um, talking to the Board of Governors last night. But but there, there is, I think, a Brexit factor in this as well, with EU students um, trying to get in under the wire, so to speak. So overall, I mean, we're still we're still finally enrolling. But overall, I think our position is far better than we thought it might be as we as we crashed into lockdown earlier in the year. Um, and colleagues have done a fantastic job um, getting the students, recruiting them in um, over, over the last few months. Uh, yeah, I think that final point is a very good one, Steve, because, uh, I mean, certainly our colleagues in, in admissions have... Uh, you know, it found it extraordinarily difficult to to set up a normal confirmation and clearing operation uh, during uh, a period when everyone was dispersed. So, you know, it has been really, really difficult. Steve? I think the other thing I would I would just comment on is, on, on that point, is of course we had to, I'm sure other colleagues did the same, we had to go to online open days, online recruitment events and all this sort of stuff. And what was fascinating was how well it worked. Um, and we had far greater attendance at some of these events than we normally would have had if it had been face to face. Now, you could say, well, coming all the way to Sunderland's quite a long way to come, blah, 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 and all this sort of stuff. But people travel well, all well, over the is. UK. It is. <laughs> it is, yes, it is. But but people do travel, don't they, all over the place to go to look at universities. 
And now we've all set up these fantastic online fora where you can actually do the same in the comfort of your own home. And I think it'd be quite interesting to see what happens whenever the pandemic is over and how we revert to this whole engagement with students prior to coming to university. And I think that's going to be one of the interesting lessons out of this going forward. I think I, that's a really good point. Really good point, Steve. Eileen, Sterling, then, what, what's your experience in terms of recruitment, uh, both domestic and international? Um, I would echo Steve's point um, around online recruitment and and the efforts um, all the the recruitment and admissions uh, teams uh, um, um, took to to deliver uh, our numbers. Um, again, um, similarly, um, better than expected. Obviously, in Scotland for home students, we still have the capped system. So uh, the, the aftermath of, of the exam results um, led to increased numbers uh, for us and a dialogue with the Scottish Government about how um, we would be funded for, for those students. Um, in terms of European and what we call rest of UK uh, students, um, then numbers were much better than expected. Um, and in, in terms of international, Again, um, especially with some of our postgraduate programs, uh, we, um, we moved some programs to February intakes um, as opposed to everything starting in October. Um, so, so to date, um, our numbers have been much better than we expected internationally as well. And I think the, the, um, the welcome result was the fact that those students that were returning did return. Uh, and I think that's a, a really important point. It's not just about the, um, the new recruits. It is about getting, getting them back um, as well. On students then, I mean, it has been um, an extraordinary challenging period for staff as we talked about but but it arguably even harder for for students both those who um were at school and looking forward to their first experience of university um who went into lockdown in march and then had their really challenging examination period and then the whole farrago uh, over, over marks etc and then you know their experience on arriving was not what they they expected but also returners um and their desire to to get onto campus to get on with their studies as well as those coming from from overseas uh too so uh, let's just reflect a moment then on the 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 student experience and, and how it's been in a bit different uh this year um i mean steve perhaps i could come to to you first what what's been the experience of your students have they reacted to you know, life under different and new restrictions. It's not been a, a freshest week that anyone was expecting. How, how have they responded to, to the new arrangements? Well, we went online with our freshest week, as I'm sure many did, and we had this great big online online forum. Um, I think I think for me, there's a, there's an interesting point about how we're running the campuses now and the student experience. So we're try we are trying to provide the students with as much of the on-campus experience as we can and that ranges from sports to catering to everything the problem we've got of course is the footfall of students on the campus in the hybrid model is much lower and that's putting significant pressure on things that we take for granted like the catering operation and, and all the other things and 
it, it, it's an interesting f reflection for me about I hadn't quite realized the impact this would have. So you, you, you can run a student, you can run a full student experience if you've got the students is where I would look at it. But when you have fewer students and there's a mix of online and, and face to face, it's much more complicated. And then off to the side, we haven't got as many as some universities, but we've still got quite a lot of students in halls, both private and university halls spread across the city. And we need, we're paying particular attention to those students, a few of which are self-isolating or, of course, international quarantining. So we've got these different communities within the university when a lot of students are going home at night as well. Um, so, so this has been, I think, quite a challenge for us to keep this going. Um, colleagues have done a fantastic job with all sorts of things online, but the face-to-face -face aspects are also very important and trying to keep those moving um, we're having to subsidise a lot of things at the moment, as I'm sure other colleagues are, um, trying to get them through to the other side effectively. Um, and we're now thinking about what is the model post-COVID? You know, what, what size and shape of the whole student experience do we need? What size and shape of the estate do we need? You know, how's it all going to work when this pandemic is over? Because I think a lot of students will say, actually, I quite enjoyed all those bits being able to access stuff in the evening or whatever. Do I need to be on campus as much? How's that going to change the student experience? So I think there's, there are lots of questions at the moment banging around that, um, that we're going to need to answer. Eileen, can I come to you next in terms of uh, your experience in uh, uh, Sterling? Thanks, Paul. Um, I won't reiterate uh, much of much of what's uh, been said already, but just to say it, it resonates uh, strongly. Um, I think students uh, were really keen uh, to be able to to return. In terms of managing the changes to the campus and promoting them, and also um, promoting the behaviours that were expected, we had a sort of sterling campus commitment and, and campus pledge that we asked uh, staff and, and, and students to, to sign up to. I think um, one of the aspects that's often um, overlooked is the fact that when we talk about campuses reopening, we had hundreds of students who remained on campus right through lockdown. Um, so so for, for me, I don't think about it so much uh, uh, as a shutdown and a reopening, but just um, an incrementation in, in terms of what we provide and, and, and how we provide it. Uh, we currently have a couple of thousand students in university um, accommodation. So how we ensure that, that they can have um, as best a, a campus experience as, as we can manage is, uh, is very much a, a, a top priority. And I think um, um, an interesting aspect to that, just reflecting on how we work, has um, certainly increased the levels of integration because it has really helped focus um, on what the key outcome being sought is, as opposed to traditional ways of ways of working. So I think that's quite a positive that that that's come out of that's come out of it. Louise, at LSE, then, um, what's it been like for 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 your your students? I was thinking um, that you know 
the issues of transport in London do presumably um, present them with with some significant difficulties? Um, I I'm not sure it's it's too profound. I mean, we've done sort of things. I mean, I think the whole nature of, of this lockdown situation has been um, the sort of um, uh, sort of juxtaposition of the level of decision making you're doing. So you, th there's this huge sort of stratospheric umbrella type decisions you're making which are fundamental and existential and all those sorts of really big things and then equally you're thinking okay how can we help students get to campus safely we need more bike racks we need to enable them to rent bikes it's it's those sorts of things so it literally is the sublime to the ridiculous but often it's the very tiny decisions that are the, the key facilitation pieces that enable you to deliver a good student experience and to keep your campus open so the, you know, the, the, there's, there's a lot of uh, sort of e extreme decision making. I think um, we have a lot of students in, in halls, um, of course, um, some, some owned and managed by the school and others not, uh, most of which are you can walk to the campus from those. So that, that, that is, is, is less of a concern. But equally, of course, we have a large more more than more of our students live in private housing than don't. So they, they commute from all over London. Um, I'm not aware of any particular concerns that have been caused in that regard, because, of course, relatively speaking, public transport in London is so quiet. Um, so it, 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 it's, it is a sort of a surreal and ghostly experience in parts of London. So um, uh, but, but bits of it are teeming with life. So, so it, it's again, it's, it's all about extremes, I suppose. I mean, I think generally with our students, as as Steve says, we did a lot of we did our welcome week entirely on online. We did try to arrange some departmental based things on campus, which w had varying degrees of success. Um, I think generally students were just delighted to be at university. We've had small numbers of cases, but really, I think a very sort of high level of compliance around um, behavioural expectations in, in regards to keeping COVID safe. And we, as I'm sure others have done, added um, a segment to our terms and conditions of registration, which set behavioural requirements around having both a personal and a community-based responsibility um, while, while a student. So all that seems to have, have, have gone quite well. I think um, areas such as and what we have done we have a number of catering outlets but they're not all open so then you get to a situation where because you have more students on campus they're closer together there's so many people in the library for example so the kind of core central university um facilities are, are in high demand and we have another um, a building that's not been open very long at all and it's got lots of fantastic seating for for study and we've had to move the furniture because you know there's a there's a tendency given the high volume of students they'll be too close it's another tiny decision that's important so um i i think i would sort of cautiously say that that things are going pretty well i think what has been highlighted are other issues which are are, are bigger issues around the way in which we operate our teaching so the level of complexity in our academic portfolio, for example, has been uh, brought into sharper relief by the challenges of timetabling around a different type of student experience and a different model of teaching. So there's some significant bigger projects, if you like, that will have a longer term effect on delivery and the student experience. And I think one of the challenges is some of these things are really urgent, but there's a bandwidth 
issue uh, in terms of what staff can reasonably deliver and what can be resourced in this, you know, what's still a time of crisis management and financial uncertainty. I think that is absolutely right, though, uh, Louise. I mean, there there are so many issues to deal with, provide the the you know the appropriate the best possible experience for students both in the classroom and beyond. The capacity to deal with all of those things at once is is just really it's just really really tough. Um, but I mean, certainly my experience and what I've heard from other places is that the lengths that people have gone to is just extraordinary to to try and do the best we can for our students. And and for me, that's been one of the most you know terrific things to emerge from this terrible you know terrible crisis has been the way in which colleagues have gone gone far above and beyond what was expected to do the best they possibly can uh, for students and uh, that's been terrific to see. I'd like to thank all of our contributors today for their comments and for participating in a lively discussion. You can hear more from this group of colleagues in episode two, where we'll be looking at a wider range of higher education issues of great interest, I'm sure, to everyone. Until then, thank you.